Join me this hour for The Bear on KCRW Berlin, the show that gives you a front row seat to an evening of great storytelling recorded here in Berlin. The theme of tonight's show is wild, stories of passion. Tonight's storytellers will make you an accomplice in a middle-of-the-night heist, bring you along on a potentially perilous hike, and let you watch a marriage proposal unfold in New York City. You won't want to miss it. Stay with us. Welcome to The Bear on KCRW Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Now, if you've joined us before, you know The Bear is a monthly event where Berliners get on stage to share stories centered around a certain theme. We here at KCRW Berlin then bring you some of our favorite stories from that evening. Now, since the COVID-19 related restrictions began in Berlin in March, it of course has not been possible for the storytelling event to take place in person. But luckily, there was one final live show in February before the lockdown restrictions began that we haven't had a chance to share with you yet. So tonight, the personal stories you'll hear were recorded in Prenzlauerberg, and the theme of the evening was wild, stories of passion. Berlin musician Felix Kommel performed music live, and first up on tonight's show is storyteller Mike Trippiano. This is tentatively titled Butterfly Effect. I'm in New York City. I'm in my therapist's office. He's there, too. (laughs) We're talking. We've been talking about, I met this woman a while ago. I'm thinking about maybe staying with her. What a weird idea. Maybe she's great and I don't want to date anymore and she's someone I want to spend more time with, maybe a lot of time. And my therapist says, well, Mike, you've been here with me, God, what, two and a half years. We've talked a lot about your codependency, your anxiety, your passive aggressiveness, your fear of intimacy. I was like, all right, you know, I get it, okay. <laughs> I, I get, I know my checklist, okay. Just tell me what you think. And he said, well, I'll stop the list. And my point is that I think maybe you're ready. You're ready for, to uh, propose. And I thought, okay, I guess I'm ready. I am ready. I've been thinking about this a while. We've been together nine months, eight and a half, nine months. Why not do it? It's daunting. One person for the rest of your life. In theory, but <laughs> that's, that's the hope. But how do you do it? All I knew were comedians and party clowns. Those were my friends. None of them were in relationships. Who to talk to? And I, I met a friend of a friend, a lawyer, kind of an acquaintance, and met him and his wife. And they said, well, just get out like an ersatz ring and uh, 
propose, and then you can go together, you and her, and get the ring you like. I thought, okay, I can do that. And I got a fun ring, like a ring I thought she'd like. Like a, it's kind of a goofy, like clowny butterfly ring, like a toy with flapping wings. <laughs> and I, I put it in my pocket, and I started carrying it around, you know. But I thought, I can't just carry it around. I got to go to the right place. Where do you, where do you propose? I have no idea. So I, I, I'm a modern guy, so I went on the internet, and I Googled places to propose in New York. And the top one was the roof of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. You have a view of Central Park. Apparently it's very popular for proposals. I thought, that's it, let's do that. So I have the ring in my pocket and we're going through our life, you know, by, by now we're living together. And I'm thinking, I gotta get her to that roof. And I ask her one day, I say, hey, how about this weekend we go to the roof, you know, of the Metropolitan Museum of Art? No. That's not what I said. I said, let's go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I don't know. I'm kind of tired. I don't really want to go up there, all the crowds. I thought, all right. It's fine. Next weekend, I try again. Hey, what do you think this weekend? Let's we'll go down to, to the Met Museum. Oh, I got to do this thing for work. I was like, all right. <laughs> Try not to take this personally. <laughs> okay, I talked to my therapist about it a little bit. Try not to take it personally. <laughs> Trying to stick with this. Thinking maybe it's a sign. Maybe it's not supposed to happen. A week, week later, then I try the middle of the week. Then another week. I say, let me wait two weeks. Try it again, again. She never wants to go to the museum. I'm, I'm getting this huge resentment. I'm like, oh, you don't want me to, you don't want to marry me, is what I'm thinking. Meanwhile, I'm carrying around for months, four months, this butterfly ring in my pocket, digging into my leg in this resentment building of this woman who will not go to the roof of the Metropolitan Museum of Art which I think is a perfectly reasonable re request. So one night we're, we're down on the river, the Hudson River, beautiful lights of Manhattan on one side, New Jersey on the other. Smokestacks of New, New Jersey in the distance, very romantic. And I'm just sitting there frustrated. God, when am, when am I going to get her to the to this friggin' roof to get this goddamn proposal over with so we can get on with our friggin' lives. <laughs> I mean, if this is how she's gonna be, I'm starting to have my doubts. <laughs> and I'm looking at the lights, I'm looking at her, I think, oh, I think this might be the moment. This might just be the moment. On the pier, facing New Jersey, this might be the moment. And I'm excited to do it, and excited to hear what I think might be her answer, and excited to get this friggin' butterfly ring out of my pocket that I've been carrying around for almost five months, digging into my leg. 
And I, I've seen a lot of movies, so I get down on one knee, and I ask her to marry me, and she looks shocked. Like maybe at the ring, but also <laughs> because I asked her. And she said yes. And I thought, great, great. I think, what do we do now? I have no idea what we do now. And we, uh, we, we talk a little bit. We wander up to the West Village. We're, I guess we're both in kind of in a daze. I know I was. We come upon a restaurant, and it says, uh, we look at the menu outside, and it says, uh, first of all, it was a little expensive between us, but <laughs> my wife, she's not here tonight, so. But it also said, uh, perfectly for, perfect for those newly engaged. I thought, oh, this is meant to be. That's a very rough story, but that's my story for tonight. Thank you. That was Mike Trippiano. Next up on this evening's show is storyteller Ben McGuire. Felix, would you like to join me? Yeah, of course. Wonderful. Flute, guitar? Whatever you like. All right. Wherever you like. Blockbuster. It's 2 a.m. when I hear the knock on my window. I look up. It's Rudy. He's 14 and the undisputed leader of the neighborhood gang. He's suave, daring, wild, passionate, adventurous. And rumor has it, Rudy may have touched Rachel's breasts. <laughs> ben, get up. Where are we going, I ask. I need you to help me push something up a hill. As if I'm Sisyphus. But I'm 13 and adventure calls, so I get my clothes on and I jump out the window with Rudy. And he shuffles us through the night to Parliament House. It's 1987 and in preparation for Australia's bicentenary in 1988, the Australian government is building a brand spanking new parliament building. Rudy takes us all the way to the edge of the fence which is still a construction site and there he takes off his shoulder a bag and he roots around in it a bit and he pulls out bolt cutters and he starts to cut a hole in the fence through which we squeeze and we're in a building compound, machinery, equipment, vehicles and Rudy threads us through the vehicles down to the back of the compound and there in the corner is a four-wheeled dune buggy. Rudy has been casing this joint and it's this vehicle he wants to steal. Rudy is a mechanical genius. He gets down on one knee, unlike Mike proposing, and starts fiddling with the wires of this vehicle so that the steering lock can be loosened so we can push it up the hill. And as he's doing so, we hear a car door slamming. Feet on the gravel. 
and then a torchlight beaming through the compound. We duck under it and back up. And it comes back, we duck again and back up. But the security guards somehow don't see us. They disappear and then Rudy says, on the count of three, one, two, three. And we heave this thing up the hill, back through the gap in the fence, up onto Arthur Circle, down onto Hobart Avenue, across Forest Primary School Oval, up the other side, turn left at Tasmania Circle, up onto this little verge, and we hide it in the trees. It takes us a long time, and just before dawn, Rudy gives me a high five and says, done. I say, what now? He says, well, go back to bed. <laughs> so I go back to bed. And when I wake in the morning, it's to the realization that I am, for the first time in my life, the only time in my life, a thief. And it feels amazing. <laughs> it would have been brilliant and we would have got away with it had it not been for Rudy's next strategic move. Over the next couple of months, Rudy takes that June buggy apart with an angle grinder, grinds the registration number off the chassis, rebuilds it, and then gives it to his father for Father's Day. <laughs> the next knock I hear is not Rudy on the window, it's Rudy's father at the door. I see Rudy's father's face and I know the game is up. My parents are utterly shocked because I'm a good kid. I don't do that sort of stuff. They were shocked as much about the theft as my lack of remorse. Ben, aren't you sorry? Well, no. It was fun. Like, I won't do it again, but it was fun. My stepfather had the right punishment prepared. We just moved to this house and winter was coming and he'd ordered a semi-trailer load of unchopped firewood. Huge pieces of wood the size of tractor tyres. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that this pile filled this entire room. He takes me out there the next morning, he hands me an axe and he hands me a blockbuster, like a slightly more blunt version of an axe, and he says, you are grounded. You are not leaving this property until this entire pile of wood is chopped and stacked. So I chop and I stack and I chop and I stack and I chop and I stack. And as the week progresses, something happens. I find my body aligning with the natural rhythm of my tools. I start to feel the difference between the axe and the blockbuster and how I need to swing these, the weight, the trajectory, the force, and it feels good. My mind starts understanding the beauty and the logic in the grain that is wood. The wood speaks to me about where I need to contact it. If you swing a blockbuster too far to the edge of a piece of wood, it will shatter and the wood will send little shards out towards your shins and it will deflect and the blockbuster comes skittering for your shins and that's not good. 
If you contact the wood too close to the centre, the tightness of the grain will hold it and the blockbuster will stick and send a juddering, jarring up into your elbow and your shoulder. That's not good either. But if you listen to the wood, it tells you through little fissures, little cracks, little irregularities in the grain where to hit it. And if you strike it perfectly, you get the awesome rent and crack, the perfect split. Throughout that week, my punishment became my passion. It was one of the best weeks of my life. <laughs> and at the end of the week, as I stood there and looked at this beautiful pile of wood, I knew I'd found something. That was the beginning of my passion for wood chopping. I continued to chop wood all through my teens into my 20s and my favourite place to chop wood was with my grandparents in their backyard, in their wood yard. Those beautiful long summer afternoons, I would chop wood and we'd hear the distant drone of somebody mowing their lawn, a lawnmower. My grandfather would sit in silence in the shade under the tree, sipping a beer, just watching me, companionable silence. My grandmother would come out and offer us fruitcake and tea and have a bit of a chat and go back inside where she was working at the stove and would cook us with the wood that I was chopping, this beautiful roast lamb and mint sauce. Even then, I knew this is happiness. This is contentedness. But even as I knew that, I knew that it also couldn't last. That era would be over when my grandparents died. My grandfather died in 2005 and my grandmother, at 101, went on Wednesday. She was buried today in Australia, thus ending this beautiful era of wood chopping in companionable silence. In an entire century, there's much in a life to celebrate. But one of the quiet moments I've been celebrating the last couple of days is this knowledge, this memory of chopping wood with them. Mortality makes you think. I'm maybe halfway through my life, if I'm lucky, and I've done a lot, but there's much yet to do. And one of the things that I really want to do is find myself somewhere, a quiet little woodyard, because there's very little more beautiful on this earth than standing over a block of unchopped wood with the exquisite heft of a blockbuster in hand. Thank you. That was Ben McGuire with Blockbuster. We're taking a short break. When we come back, we'll hear one more wild story of passion. Stay with us. This is Ira Glass of This American Life. Oh my god. One thing I really like in a radio story. What's back there? Nothing. Look, that's no, there's someone living back there. Is a mystery. I'm not going back there. There's somebody's hair. There's a head in there. There's a shrunken head right there. Mysteries explained each week this American life. It's Santa Claus. Resident Evil. This American Life. Sundays at 5 p.m. on KCRW Berlin. You're listening to KCRW Berlin, and I'm Ben Ressler. 
Join me and Caleb Larson as we take you back in time to your day in Berlin history. We explore the events that shaped the German capital and introduce you to the people who've added to the city's unique character. Tune in every Sunday and Monday for new episodes of Your Day in Berlin History from KCRW Berlin, 104.1 FM. Welcome back to The Bear on KCRW Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. On the last Saturday of every month, we bring you stories recorded live at Bear storytelling events here in Berlin. These stories were recorded in February when the theme of the evening was wild, stories of passion. Our final storyteller on this evening's show is Galu Roma. Her story is called My New Friend. So I, I, I just graduated and it wasn't Thank you. <laughs> no, it's about the story, but it's okay. Thank you. <laughs> so at that time, I just graduated, and it, it wasn't really hard for me to get a job. And um, I also, at that time, was living in a quite prime area in Kreuzberg, you know, having this very lovely boyfriend. And the most important one was that I never need to think that can I eat tomorrow and the next day and the next day because I always have money, at least enough money. And then uh, even one day, I was so stunned in Aldi, I talked to my boyfriend, oh my God, I could just buy this mango. Like, no effort. I have money to buy the mango and the grapes. My boyfriend's like, I also have money if you need it, but okay. Um, Anyway, it was, it was quite a life that I always dreamed to when I was in Indonesia before I came to Berlin. But actually, I wasn't happy at that time because there's always something that bothered me, but I didn't know why, but my life was suddenly become so downhill. But I was so confused because everything seems perfect. Like, what should I worry about? And I never let myself being checked or go to the doctor because I don't want to face this, like somebody tell me that there's something wrong with me because I believe there's nothing wrong with me. And I was just like telling myself, you know what? You become Germanized. This is a problem of like first world problem. They don't really have a problem, so they make up something. This is you. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know what? I need to challenge myself. I need to do something that I never did. And that if I told my mom, if I would, if I would do it, that she would be terrified. So I was like, okay, I'll do this. I decided to go hiking. I mean, it's a woman in Indonesia hiking death alone for five days. I, I honestly, I forgot how I decided to go to Hallstatt, Austria, why I didn't just go to, I don't know, Brandenburg or Spandau or like Magdeburg, I don't know. So I was in a train uh, to Hallstatt, Austria, and then I arrived in the train station, I was like, you know what, this is safe, I'll do it. And apparently there's no bus at that day to the starting point of the hike. I was like, I checked in the Google, it was one hour and a half walking, I was like, it's nothing. I walk, I start walking, and after 15 minutes, I realized that I sooner or later, I would get hit by a Skoda or, I don't know, something. Because it was very curvy road, uh, mountainous road, and no, there's no pedestrian lane, 
so no one would, uh, would uh, walk there. So I was like, okay, I need to hitchhike in Austria. And I was like, you know, doing this thing, this thumb up, and then I was just standing and no one stopped for me. And uh, apparently there is one car stopped for me. And then it was a woman, she rolled down the window and then I saw four dogs. I was like, oh my God, I was so afraid of the dogs. I'm, I'm afraid of dogs. And then she was like, hey, where are you going? And I said, I, I want to go to this uh, starting point of the hike. And I was like, uh, uh, unfortunately, she speaks German. And I was like, we, we have a very bad German conversation because at that time, my German is so bad. I was like, here, here. And I was like, oh, no, I couldn't go there because I go to the other direction. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's OK, because I don't want to go there anyway. And then I kept waiting and waiting, and so no one stopped for me. And then apparently she came back, and she was like, hey, actually, I was thinking, so, you know, just go, I'll bring you. I was like, okay. And then I was thinking, like, for a couple of seconds, like, should I go? Because I was so afraid with the dog. And the dog was like, look at me, and we have, like, this, you know, I, and I was like, you know, I was like, you know what, challenge accepted. So I get in there, and then she told me, like, so she, on the way, she told me that, I always have a patient for travel alone, but I never like I never brave enough. So when I saw you, I kept thinking about myself. So I just want to help you. You know, I was like, yeah, thank you so much. And then I was like, I was trying to be cool with this dog. Was always like bark from like bark to me. I was like, it's okay. And then apparently I arrived at this starting point of the hike, and I called my mountain hut. So I said like, hey, I will I have my booking, and I will go there. If after seven hours. No one came, I'm like, I didn't come, please look for me. And they were like, okay. But you know what, there is a weather change today, so please do not go to this A trail, let's say. Please go to the ski slope trail. I was like, okay. And I uh, turned off my phone and I was like, what is ski slope? I never went ski, I never like, never. And I was like, ah, this is, this looks easy. Because it looked like, you know, just a trail that you can see. I was like, First hour, you know, a lot of picture, Insta story, la 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 la, actually, it's, it's easy. Second, uh, like, after two hours, I was like, oh my God, it's actually very hot, and my legs start to, like, scream because the elevation start killing me. And then after three hours, I stopped every 100 meters, catching my breath, and I was like, why did I bring all of this stuff in my bag? Because it's so heavy. <laughs> I brought, like, pesto, pasta, you know, I thought I could cook and save some money. I was like, I, I throw it all off. So I only have water, some clothes, and one sandwich. So I ate it all, I was like, start screaming, crying, what did I do this, I wanna go home, I miss Kreuzberg. And then after four hours, it starts very foggy. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is the end of my life. This is what, what, you, what you had when you, you are not grateful with your life, you know? And then Sarah, I, was so, I feel so lonely. And then suddenly there is this cute pig, not too cute, but like there's a pig. And I was like, I never saw pig in my life. I saw it in cartoon because, you know, pig in, Indon <laughs> in Indonesia is haram, so, I mean. So I only see it in the picture. It's like quite cute in the picture, but why this pig is a little bit big and then not cute? I was like, first of all, I need to video it, you know, so I can share with my friend. And I was like, oh, finally I have a new friend. I didn't meet any creature, living creature for the last four hours. So we start walking together, you know? Really like he start, he, she, whatever. It start working beside me. And then after a couple hundred meters, it start, I start to be afraid of this 
new friend because <laughs> when I think about it, it can eat me instead of the other way around. So I start walking faster to get away, <laughs> you know? And the cute pig, not too cute pig, also starts walking faster and I start running because, oh my God, whatever this is like, it's scary. So I run, 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 I scream, I crawl, I was like, run, walking faster. I don't know how, how long I was running, but it was like far. So I was like, and then I, 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 was, I, I didn't see anything behind me, so I, was, I didn't hear anything. So I was like, okay, I think I was safe. And then I start crying more. And I was like, why, why I do this? Why, what, what, what was I thinking? And then I cry, I cry, I cry. And then I hear some voice, like human voice. I was like, oh my God, actually I, I was close. So I started walking and walking and walking. And then I saw my mountain hut. And I was hiding behind a tree to cry again. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't want to look dead. So, so I was hiding and then I cried and I was like, I'm so proud of you. I told myself, I was so proud of you, but you're so dumb. <laughs> and then I went to this, I was like, I cleared up and then I went to the mountain and then I was like, I, so I went for six hours and a half. They were so close to look for me. And it was so dark, I couldn't see anything. I did, of course, I didn't have a headlamp. I only have, you know, my camera flash. And they were like, oh my God, we are so worried about you because there is this uh, wild pig <laughs> that used to uh, attack uh, the other animal in the mountain. I was like, really? I didn't see anything though, <laughs> but okay. So after that, well, everything went well. And after that, I came back to Berlin. I let myself be checked. Um, and then, this trip bring me new finding in my life that I never knew, that I have some patience of solo travel, that I'm brave enough. And then I also learn new things. Not all pigs are cute. Thank you. That was storyteller Balu Roma, our final storyteller for this evening's show. These true personal stories were recorded live at The Bear on February 21st in Prenzauerberg. You heard live music in this evening's show from Felix Komo. Our show's theme is I Need Love, remixed by DJ Spectre. The Bear was inspired by The Moth and created by Diane Nyman. Since COVID-19-related restrictions began, The Bear live events haven't taken place in person. But even in lockdown, Diane is still finding ways for people to keep sharing their stories. Learn more at our website, kcrwberlin.com slash the bear. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Thanks for tuning in.